Hey, happy Easter! So glad that you're here, and uh, it is Resurrection Day, and we have decorated the place with flowers, and we have so many guests. Listen, to this morning, just so you know, those of you that are parents, we're working towards children's ministry reopening, and we have to do that in conjunction with, of course, what the state mandates are. But as we get closer and closer here, we're going to begin to open things up. But we want you to know that each week, the, ta- the nursery room, if you go out this door to the right immediately, there's a, before you go in the foyer, there's a long room there. And uh, we ask that you accompany your own children. If you, if you need to go there for changing them or, you know, they're getting fussy or they need to eat, please take that liberty to do so. And we also have the last room on the right also streaming the service, so that's, that's there for, for you if you need that. I remember those days, and uh, I don't miss them. Just kidding, kind of. Kevin, how's that sleep going, bro? Uh, he's going to be bringing his little daughter, Lonnie, here to second service. We can't wait. And then, of course, Matt and Sienna have all of their children here. It's going to be a great Mother's Day with all these baby dedications. I just feel like things are starting to open up in a great way. And if you're, you're kind of like apprehensive, can I just introduce you to somebody who is the biggest risk taker I know? Her name is, is uh, Auntie, is it Ruth? Do I have that right? It's Aunt Ruthie Rogers. Do I have the last name right? Yeah, Auntie Ruth Rogers. She is here today and she is 102 years old. A hundred, 101, 101. Now, I have to tell you the story of how we met. I pulled into the parking lot and was coming in on a work day, and I saw these three people in a car. It was her niece, her nephew, and herself. And they were hanging in the car, and and they, they smiled at me, and I said, hello, people pull in here for lunch break on the road, all kinds of stuff. So, so I just smiled, went in, and then eventually they, the uh, nephew, Mark, uh, Mr., her, her nephew came to the door and said, hey, I don't mean to bother you, but my aunt is in a home nearby, and they won't offer her communion, and she loves the Lord, and she... Uh, is here, and, and I said, what? Are you kidding me? They've been coming to the parking lot and hanging out in the parking lot just to be close to a church. So we said, you need to come inside the church. She came in, we showed her the church, and she reminded me that she can't hear me too well and that she can't see too well, but she's sharp up here. And so she, she, I said, why don't we have communion? And in my office, her niece, nephew, myself, Pastor Dillian, Dylan, we had communion right there, and it was so precious, and it was so beautiful. And let me tell you something about her. Not only is she 101, but her and her sister are responsible. Her sister was a minister and was responsible for many of the churches in the Merrimack Valley. We're here today because of her and her sister's prayers. And I think that that's worthy of note and thanking her and God. So you have officially become everybody's aunt. And so I wonder if me, if Linda, if you could come here real quick. We've, we've got flowers here today, and we'll explain this in a second. But 
I hope that you're not allergic to, to um, Easter lilies because we want to make sure that one of these gets back home with you. And we just believe that you are beautiful and that you are, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for being a faithful woman of God. You can live for Jesus your whole life and live well. And look at this. She's, she's going strong and she's like, get me back in church. And here she is today. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I want to catch COVID. And here's a 101-year-old woman who is out and about, and we just, can we just thank and bless her one more time? And, uh, she's talking about her sister, and loving people, and praying, and we're so grateful for you, Auntie Ruthie. Thank you for being here. Amen. Amen. And so, with, with the flowers that are up here today, um, these, these are here to remember those of us who have lost loved ones this year. If you're here today and there's somebody who you know that was dear to you that is no longer with you, we want to ask you to, to come forward after service and take one of these. Now, please understand, this is for those of you that are here, uh, but maybe you're going to your mom and your father passed away and you're like, I want to give her one of these. Um, but this isn't one of those like, I need to get a gift because I'm going to the, meet somebody for Easter. Let me grab one of those flowers. But we have one more service. But I want to encourage you to just kind of take the ones on the end as you're going out and work your way in. And uh, they're there in remembrance of those that we love. And here's the beautiful thing about Easter lilies. They remind us of the fact that though Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Winter is long. COVID is long. Spring is coming. Amen? Spring is coming. Spring is coming. And so, amen. <laughs> Let's pray. I want to speak with you today about Easter's truth. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, help me to do what I can't do of myself. That's to communicate eternal truth with resurrection power. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help me share what you would like to be heard here this morning. And that would change our life. That it would change the trajectory of our life. That it re... Lord, those that have been down, Lord, it would just rekindle hope. Remind us. That those who believe in you, though they die, yet shall they live. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited because we have finally got our October uh, trip to Israel. Our Sunday, October 17th, we take off for 10 days, and we're going to be there. I've been there about 20 times. I want to say that if you have any interest in joining us, that you are welcome to... Uh, to go to edhilltours.com and tell them you were at Lola G, Dr. Paul Conway. They'll sign you up for it. I believe it's about 3800 for the whole trip. That's a lot of cheddar, but if you want to join us, you can do it. But for those of us that can't go, I want to show you what a tomb in the time of Jesus looked like. That is the entryway. It was about the size, big enough for a hobbit to walk in. So you had to, you had to slouch over and kind of go in because it wasn't for going in and out. And they would have a stone in front of it that was like this that they would roll. Sometimes it was a big round stone that would just go into it like a cork filling the hole. And so when you walked inside, a family plot would be like this. Now there was a U-shaped thing there that is the burial preparation tables. And they would lay the, the person on that. And they would, they would clean them. They would wrap them with cloth, with expensive perfume. Like picture about going and buying a bathtub full of expensive perfume 
and mixing it with, with oils. And, and co- that's, that's what this process was. It was designed for in, as an act of love. And so this way they would do this, and then they would put a cloth over the person's face. Now, when you walk in there, and this might be hard to see, but on one of those slabs, this is in the Israeli Museum, that's a, what you would do is, is you would leave that person there for a year, and you would come back a year later. It was the eldest son that would come back, and they would then at that time take the bones that would be all that's left, and they would put the bones inside of a box called an ossuary, and they would put them in there, and that box is as wide as your hip, and as long as your thigh, because those are the, both the widest and the longest bones in your body. And they would put the bones in there, and then they would slide them into one of those, those many slots on the walls. They would slide them inside to one of them. And it was at that point that they would take what was called a tear jar that came from the time of the mourning and the weeping, and they would, they would collect the tears that you would cry. And there's a psalm on Psalm 56, you've stored my tears in, a, in, a, in your bottle, Lord. And you would put all the tears of all your family that had cried, and you would leave them in the tomb with that and move, move forward. Because it, it, although, we, although we weep for those that are gone, for the life that they live, we still have a life to move forward in. And so they would do that as a tradition. And so it's right at the beginning of this phase. Jesus has been crucified. Not only was he crucified, but he was whipped. I don't know if you knew this, but the Romans would have a cat of nine tails. It would be nine strands of strap. They would have metal, nails, glass, and they would whip the person. And as it whipped, it would dig into them. And as they yanked it, it would rip the flesh from their body. When a criminal was, perse- when a criminal was punished, in, according to Roman law, they were flogged or they were crucified, but they were never done with both. Because the whipping itself could, could most likely kill you. And here we look at Jesus not only being whipped and flogged, but also crucified. This is the most excruciating, tormenting death. And he did it for you, and he did it for me, and he saw us at our worst moment, and he still thought the best of us, and we couldn't even love ourselves. And he said, I love you before you even loved me. And he, when, the bio, when the world and us were trying to get as much as we could, God said, no, no, that isn't how I'm going to do it. I so love you that I'm going to send my son to die for you before you even know me. Maybe you're here today and it's your, your first or your first real time in church and you're kind of like, I don't know. You know what? God knew you and loved you before you were even born. He's been watching you. He sees you at your worst moment and still has thought the best of you. You can't make Jesus not love you. But sometimes we can feel unlovable. Just like how Pastor Kevin talked about Peter how Peter, when Jesus rose from the dead, the reason why that announcement of go tell the disciples and Peter was so important was because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter, at one point in John's gospel, a few chapters earlier, looks Jesus in the eye when he denies him the third time, and it says he ran out of the city and wept bitterly. He must have thought that he was the one that Jesus was talking about at the table. One of you will deny me. One of you will betray me. Have you ever found yourself in a desire to know who God is and yet feel like, why would he want to know me? Why would he care to know me? I betrayed him. I've denied him. Nope. You can't make Jesus not love you. He loves you. He cares for you, and he died for you. 
But what's about to take place here in the story of John, chapter 20, and if you'll turn there in your Bible, on your phone, or you can just listen, but I encourage you to read through the whole thing because I'm going to read the first section and then note some of the other parts that are in here. But but this is the longest account in all the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus. It not only goes through chapter 20, but also to 21, where Jesus appeared to person after person after person. Some of you, when you came in, but it's also available online, or when you go out, we have a handout here, and it goes through all kinds of things, of ideas that people have had to say, no, Jesus really didn't die. Somebody stole the body. No, Jesus didn't die completely on the cross. He was unconscious, and when he woke up, he was in the tomb. He opened the stone and took off and died a normal life years later. That just sounds crazy. Uh, They were all at the wrong tomb. Really, the Romans, the people, nobody wanted anyone to think that Jesus was resurrected because he was claiming he would do it. That makes no sense. Well, they all hallucinated the thing. All these different theories are in there. Not only that, but also in that handout are people like Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, the disciples on on the road to Emmaus, the 11 disciples, seven disciples fishing, the apostles in Galilee, James, the brother of Jesus, Jesus, the apostles at the Mount of Olives, and at one point, even as many as 500 people saying, I saw Jesus. Though he died, I saw him alive. He is not here. He is risen. If I were to take the case of Jesus into the court, and it would be like, take a murder trial. Some murderer is saying, I didn't do it. And then somebody came forward and said, I saw him do it. And then 11 people said, I saw him do it. And then two people over here said, I did it and did it. And then 500 people got up and said, we all saw him do it. That guy is guilty. He's caught. There's an overwhelming, it's what we call clear and convincing proof. And if you take that same concept in the court of law and flip that and apply that to Jesus, it is a hand down, open, shut case. He is no longer in the tomb. He is not there. He is risen from the dead and he is here by his spirit. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is strong enough and powerful enough, not just to conquer the grave, but to conquer any challenge that you face in your life. That is good. Amen. Let's say it together. i got to turn you into an amen church. Everybody say amen. Amen. Those of you watching online, say amen. Amen. Those of you that are deaf, say amen. Amen. (laughs) I think they heard you. (laughs) Listen to this. John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And when it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she goes back and is like, I saw the stone, it's moved, somebody stole the body. So Peter went out, the, the other disciple, uh, Peter went out with the other disciple, this is John still, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running towards, but the other, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. So John is faster than Peter. How many of you, as the years are going by, you're not as quick as you used to be? Don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vroom because I started doing noom. I'm getting there. He outran Peter and John. So John reaches the tomb first, verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came in, followed, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes laying there, and the face cloth, which that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. This is biblical evidence that it is God's will that your children fold their clothes and laundry and put them away. And I, yes, Diana, I will say it. This is also biblical evidence, men, that we have to fold our clothes and put them in the drawer. If Jesus can fold up his linen face cloth and put it on the shelf, we should too. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and he believed. As for yet, they did not understand the scriptures that, must, uh, that, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Here we are standing here at an empty tomb. They're at an empty tomb. They can't make sense of it. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and it's in those notes here, but this is what you have to understand. In English, I can see something. I see you, you see me. Uh, we, you, can, you can see the, the, the you know, things physically. That's called blepo. That's literally how you say it. Why don't you try your Greek? Say blepo. Those of you online, blepo. Well, that's literally that you physically see something with your eyes. In, in English, we say see for everything because there's another see, and it's a mental see. You ever have somebody explain something to you and you can't quite get it? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, I see, I see, I see. The way that you would see that way is called theareo. What does that sound like in English? You can give the answer again if you, if you had it. What is theareo? Theoretical, theorize, exactly. You guys are wicked smart. That was the baby that answered, by the way. So, like, it means you theorize something with your mind. It's a different kind of see. It's like, oh, I see, I get it, I get it. And then the last kind of see is a word, uros, that orao or erao, I don't have it in front of me to, to, to say it perfect. Those Greek speakers among us, forgive me. But, like, that word literally is used whenever it has to do with, like, something spiritual or philosophical. It's like an epiphany. It's a clear, deep, spiritual understanding. All three of these words are used, and where they're used is really important to understand what's really going on. Because on top of that word see showing up all over the place, they saw, they, they looked, they saw, they see, to see, there's a word that pops up over and over again, and it's called believe. You see, we think seeing with our eyes is believing, but seeing with your eyes is not believing. Believing. Believing is seeing. And when the Bible uses that word, believe, sometimes it's translated as faith. Other times it's translated as belief. But it means that you believe in something true and worthy of your trust and complete confidence. So much so that you not only would be willing to give your life for it, but that you'd be willing to dedicate your life to it. That's different than me, oh, I see, I get it, I believe. Or, yep, I'm seeing it. I, I can't believe that happened, but I believe it. Versus, I believe that Jesus wants to forgive everybody. There's a big difference in those seeings and believings. And the problem is, is that we're trying 
to see with our eyes and with our mind instead of with our spirit. And that's a supernatural gift from God because seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And when they show up at the tomb, it says that Mary sees with her eyes the stone. She blepos it. But when Peter gets there and goes into the tomb, Peter who had denied Jesus, Peter who suspected he might have been the one that Jesus was talking about that would betray him, Peter who went outside of the city and wept bitterly because he failed Jesus when he swore he wouldn't. When he was in the, in the, in the garden tomb, he pulls out a sword. He's willing to die for, for Jesus. But now here he's willing to try and do anything he can to deny him so he can live. When Peter pulled out that sword and he said, Lord, I'm willing to die for you, he meant it. But he had a weak moment. Peter represents every single one of us who never really lived up to be that person that we wanted to be for Jesus. Peter represents every single one of us who in that critical moment when we had had a lot of wins and did things right, it went all wrong because we were wrong in how we handled it. Peter represents that person that we wonder how in the world would God ever forgive me or, or free me or, or change me. I, I, I must be the one that he's written off and he, he, he never talked to me, let alone forgive me, let alone help me. And he walks into the tomb and he sees Thaareo with his head. And he's looking at the grave clothes. And he's looking at the opening of the tomb. And he's looking at the face cloth. And he's looking at there. And he's looking at John. And he's looking at Mary. And he's looking at it all. And the Bible just says he just walks out. Because he can't make sense of it. But isn't that like God? That just when you try to figure things out, God doesn't make sense, and then all of a sudden he just does something, and it just blows your mind because it can't be just contained by your thinking alone because he does it supernaturally. He heals marriages supernaturally. He reconciles families supernaturally. He causes things that were going in every wrong direction to begin to go right supernaturally. He sets us free from vices supernaturally. He forgives us of sin supernaturally. But some of those things, when you try to pass it through your mind, it won't make sense in your mind. You have to, you have to embrace it with your spirit and know that God goes beyond your thinking and your seeing because seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. This is one of those amen moments. Ready? All right, good. All right. Amen. I hear that kid. You got it. They're at an empty tomb and it doesn't make sense. But then next you have Mary. Mary, poor Mary's consumed. She's consumed with her grief. Any of you who have ever, ever had your whole world fall apart or somebody who was your world to lose them or the threat of losing them. That grief is a very real thing. In fact, we believe in grief so much in this church and that God understands grief that we have a ministry called Grief Share. I think Marcel, are you here? Marcel and Vivian are right there. They run a ministry, and if you would email office at lolag.org, if you have lost somebody in the past year or few years, I highly recommend that you, you, you write office at lolag.org or call the church, say, I'd like to get in that next run of grief share because you know what? Grief not and trauma not processed properly lingers in pain with us for such a long time. And Jesus understood how much pain Mary was in. And What's beautiful about this is, is really Mary technically is the first one to really see Jesus resurrected. It wasn't a man. 
it was a woman because women are smart. You're welcome. I heard a comedian say this, and I don't know how appropriate this is on an Easter service, but I thought it was interesting as it was funny as much as it was scary. But have you ever noticed that there aren't really a lot of serial killer women that are caught? It's always the men. It's because women are smart. But she was overwhelmed with grief. And so what does Jesus do? He sends message through her to say, go tell the disciples and Peter, because Jesus cared about Peter's grief. But she, he cared so much that he showed up to her and said, Mary, here I am. She, she was, she was that areo in the whole thing. She sees these two angels sitting there saying, why are you looking for the, the, the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. She turns and she goes out. In fact, that word, she saw the angels, means that areo. She's trying to make sense of it. She's trying to make sense. Are the angels? Aren't the angels? What are they saying? This just doesn't make sense. And then she walks out and she's, she can't even see. You ever weep like that weepy, like snot and like your eyes are so like puffing, like your, your mascara, guys won't relate to this, but like your mascara is running and they said that it was like it was not it was waterproof but it's not and like you can't even see anything she's like that and she looks out and she sees somebody some guy and she's like sir if you have taken the body and moved it as a caretaker for this garden like please tell me I'll do anything I'll 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 move it myself don't I'll I'll take care of it myself and then all of a sudden he all he has to do is speak her name Mary. And she doesn't have this moment where it says, and then she saw her. She jumps over it right into believing. And she says, Master, teacher, Raboni. And she grabs him and she hugs him. And he says to her, Mary, go and tell the disciples that I am ascending, that I am going to my father and your father, to your God and my God. He's not here. He's risen. I just think it's so beautiful that Jesus goes out of his way and that the first follower, the first witness is this woman. And she didn't need a lot of buy-in. Some of us are like her, where we don't need... All we need is just to hear our name. Listen, you're here, here today, and maybe it's been a long time since God has spoken sweetly to your life, since you've felt God, or since, like, you've been around the things of God. And, and all it takes is for Jesus to just speak your name, or for you to begin to speak his name, to put you in that place where you're in, the, where, where you're in God's word, and his name, his word is speaking to you. You want to, some of you, if you're saying, man, my life is not where it should be with God. My, my relationship with Jesus isn't what it ought to be. You know how you close that distance? Listen to him speak to you. Open up the book of John. Read it this, this next week. Just a couple of chapters a day, because this, this book is different from any other, and that God's spirit is all over it, on it, in it, through it, and all God needs to do is begin to speak to you, and you will jump right over thinking with your head, thinking with your eyes, and God will make that truth come alive to you, and his presence come alive in your life again, because he is not in the tomb, he is not there, he is risen, seeing is not believing, believing is seeing. Mary knew that. She knew it. But the disciples kind of thought she was probably crazy. So what do they do? She shows up and she says, I've seen the Lord. And they're like, 
Like, I, I can't imagine they're like, you're crazy, or, or she's just overwhelmed with grief, and she probably just, like, saw someone. You, you know, every once in a while, where you just see somebody who looks like somebody you know, maybe that was what happened. But they were all locked in a room, and it says that they were hiding for fear of their lives. Why would they steal the body of Jesus? They're hiding for fear of death. And while they're in there, all of a sudden, they hear, peace be with you. And they turn around. And who's there? It's Jesus. And the Bible says that they saw, not with their mind, not with their eyes, but with their inner spirit, and they believed. They believed he was no longer dead and that he fulfilled what the Scripture said. He's not just in the tomb. He left the tomb, and he walks into this room. Mary's consumed. He's not in the tomb. Jesus walks into the room and shows himself. You know, there used to be the song that, it's a newer song, but it used to be like, when you walk into the room, things be, everything changes. Everything changes. Listen, it's so hard to connect with truth in Scripture sometimes that we forget just how important the resurrection is, but just how real the Spirit of God is. Because Jesus, when he, said, when he resurrected, he said to the disciples, he said this, he said, I am not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you alone. Mary was clinging on to him. She probably was like, don't ever leave me ever again. He said, Mary, don't, don't touch me. Don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. But I have, I have not ascended to my Father. But God said that he, Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit. See, God hasn't left us alone to just look back at legends of the stories of Jesus, he's not only gone to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father physically, but that he has sent his spirit spiritually to be among us. And any of you who have been with us for taking it three times or more, there's a moment where God walks into the room when you're singing a song, when, you're, when, you're, when we're saying a prayer, when we're lifting our hands, when we're any of those things. Jesus shows up in the room. And while some of us, like Mary, have instant buy-ins, some of us, like Peter, struggle with our mind and need Jesus to show up, there are some of us that are like Thomas. And you can say what you want about doubting Thomas, but the thing about it is, is that even though he had a strong, firm stance where he said, I will not believe unless I see the wounds in him and put my hand and my finger into the holes and put my hand into the side where I saw them spear him. I won't believe you. Oh, now here everybody looked at Mary and she said, he's not here, he's risen. And then they turned around and then they looked at, they, they, they looked at Mary and then they're looking at Jesus and they're like, oh my goodness, can you believe it? And now Thomas, he was out, I don't know what he was doing, he was picking up some food or something, but he shows up and everybody's saying, we've seen him, we thought she was out of her mind. Peter's like, I went to the tomb and I thought that, I thought, like, how could this be? And then all of a sudden, we sh he showed up in the room and he, he was there and Thomas says, stop messing with me. Don't play with my head. Don't play with my heart. It's too painful. Don't do that to me. I will not believe unless I touch the holes in his hand, unless I put my hand in his side. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you saw. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. 
And then all of a sudden, who walks into the room? They start playing it. When you walk into the room, Jesus pops in. And he says this to him. He says, oh, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. See the marks in my hand. You know what's beautiful? He doesn't say, blepo with your eyes, the mark in my hand, with your eyes. He doesn't say, Thomas, theoreo with your mind about this. Wrap your mind around this. No, he says, orao. See, faith seeing, Thomas. It's real. It's real. And then Thomas, after doing that, he drops to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. Some of us need that moment in our life again where we reconnect with Jesus and we remember that he's not only God, but he wants to be Lord of our life. He wants to be a regular part of life. He wants to speak into our life. He wants to transform and change our life on an ongoing basis, and he wants that right to do that. But we need to invite him. I'm going to invite Thomas up. Uh, I'm sorry. If uh, Boaz, if you'd come up. I'd like to close with a couple of thoughts. If you look at all of the people, I mean, this is an sh- open and shut clase, case for Jesus. I mean, it's so hard to, to really wrap your mind around, you know, Easter, we instantly just, sometimes we look at the cross, and that's all we see. But back in the time of Jesus, there were sometimes as many as 4,000 people being crucified at a time. The historians talk about that. 4,000 people crucified at once. you imagine that? See, there were tons of people dying, some people dying for other people because they're like, I'm not going to let my brother get killed. I'm going to die for him. But it was the resurrection that made the difference. See, anyone could say that, that, they, that they would die for somebody, and some people have done that, but not anyone would say that they could resurrect. I mean, think about this. It's almost like we talk about Jesus and we're like, ah, yeah, Jesus, he's the risen Lord. But is he really risen? Is he really Lord? Is he really, have you made that connection point? Not the theoreo in your mind. Yeah, he deserves me in Christmas and Easter. And yeah, I need to go to church. And I need to love God and love my country and love my neighbors. And, you know, I I mean, but like, have you gone beyond that blepo, that theoreo, and that you've gotten to the uros of that, that you can believe. And that word believe in the Greek, when you believe, it's something you believe to be true and worthy of your trust and complete confidence, so much so that you're willing not only to die for it, but that you're also spending your entire life living for it. That's the kind of belief that God's looking for. It's not people that would die for it or mentally acknowledge it or just look at it and say, yup, but that they would be consumed in their life for it. That's what faith really is. That's what true belief is. It consumes you. Every part of your life. And I think that Jesus has earned that right. It's funny because that word for um, being a witness for Jesus is, it's the word called martyreo. It's the word we used for martyr. You see in the early church, Matthew, all these people that we just read about, all of them, all of them would have been called a martyreo. They witnessed Jesus' resurrection. They witnessed Jesus' teaching. And it meant somebody that saw something and was willing to testify about it, a martyreo. 
But they witnessed and what they saw and what began to spread through the ancient world till eventually the Roman Empire bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord under Constantine. What, what spread like wildfire through that ancient world for a, for a season began to take the lives of people because every time someone said, Jesus is Lord, you were also saying, and you, Caesar, are not, which was punishable by death. And that word martyreo changed, and it began to be a word that was used not for somebody being a witness, but somebody because of their witness and their belief in Jesus that they were willing to die for it. My friend who came over from Russia during the times of persecution before the Iron Wall fell, Iron Curtain fell, he was under threat of death continuously. And I said, man, Peter, his name is Peter Ivanov. I'll make sure to send this to you, Peter. Unbelievable, unbelievable man you are. I remember talking to him and saying, what was it like, you know, your, your life at threat, you know, living for Jesus under those conditions? He says, no, Paul. He says, you know what impresses me? It's not people over there that are living for Jesus under threat of death. He says, people in America who are surrounded by so much sin and selfishness and pleasure who live for Jesus. That's a testimony. That's an amen moment right there. I mean... Friends, if, you're, if you allow Jesus to open your spirit, get past, not get past your mind, because there's enough here mentally with witnesses and all, but to get, to, to not just have a visual faith of Jesus, not just have a mental faith of Jesus, but to have an uros belief in Jesus, that God, that comes as a gift from God and God alone, that'll change your life forever and ever. You don't, go around through life then saying you only live once, you'll be able to go through life and say you only live twice. Every single person wants to leave their mark on history and some a little bit bigger and broader than others, some for the better and some for the worse. But Caesar is dead. Hitler is dead. Stalin is dead. Pablo Picasso is dead. Galileo is dead. Shakespeare is dead. The people that ha enjoy their moment of fame in Hollywood and in radio and anything else that comes from here forward in podcast all go through life to leave their mark and hopefully have a lot to enjoy life. And they miss the whole point of what this life is about. And it's found in the last verse here in this chapter in John chapter 20, verse 31. And he says this, he says, this is why I wrote this for you, this entire book. Someone say, help him, Lord. Where is it? Where are you? Right here. Here it is. John says this. He says, but these things are written that you may believe in the, in the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. Those of you grieving that have the right to take a flower here today, listen, though they are dead, yet shall they, they shall live. I will see my friend Paul Travers again. I will see my sense friend Sean Skinner again. I'll see my grandparents again because we are the people of the resurrection and when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the world can go around and they only have one shot to enjoy it. But when you come before God, faults and all, 
and you don't trust yourself for, for becoming a better person, but that you realize that the cross reconciled you to be. And then you realize that Jesus didn't just stay on a cross and didn't just stay in a tomb, but he's not there. He's risen. You become a witness, a witness that you might live for him, a witness that you'll have life in his name. By believing. And that takes a nudge from the the way Jesus is with us, and that's the Holy Spirit. And what I'd like to do is, is if you're physically able or it's comfortable for you, if you would stand to your feet all across this room, all across this room. If you're, maybe you're, you've been multitasking while you're online there and you're watching streaming and you've been, you know, prepping food or whatever. If you, you don't have to stand or, or sit or whatever, but you just pause and give this a moment because this is that hinge moment for some of us here. I like every head in this room bowed and every eye closed. And here's what I'd like to ask you. If you're here and you're saying, it's been so long since I've, I've had that moment where I knew that God knew me and I knew him. I feel so far away from him. Or you're like, I've never even had a relationship with him. But I wish, I wish if he'd just help me here. I want to put my faith in him. If he, if he could forgive of all the wrong that I did and make it right. If he could raise me up out of the death of my situation through a prayer, I would want that right now. If that's you with your head bowed, your eyes closed, and you'd raise your hand across this room, I'd like to see you do that. Just look right at me. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all throughout this room. Thank you. You can put those down. And then maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've this is kind of, I've never really done church. This, this, I've never done church. We had somebody come up to the altar. It was the most beautiful altar call we ever had. We said, hey, if you want prayer, come forward. And, and they did. And one of the pastors said, uh, what can I pray for you for? And they said, I, I really don't know how this works. I've never been here before. And we were like, don't you worry about it. It's really easy. And it was such a beautiful, that's, that's the most beautiful moment, I think, that happened at this altar. God, you, you might be saying, I don't know, like Peter, maybe you feel like you've done too much for Jesus to do it. No, God would go out of his way and say, hey, no, go back, tell Peter, tell Michelle, tell Nikki, tell whoever you are. Jesus knows your name like Mary. He can call you out. He can call you up. He can forgive your sin. You can have a relationship with him. And it's, here's the great thing about it. It's not about you being a better person. If you wait to be a good person, you're never going to get there. Nobody's good enough. It's about going and saying, Jesus, I'm going to let you take my punishment for the cross as my punishment, but I'm going to take the life in your name through belief in, in your death and your resurrection for me in my place, and I'll have life in your name. If that's you here with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, through this room, raise your hand. Thank you. Raise, thank you. Thank you. I see your hands all over the place. I want us to pray this prayer here together. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and help me have life in your name. Speak to me. Speak through your word. Speak through being in church. Change my life in Jesus' name. I have one last prayer, and I'll make this quick because I'm over. When Jesus was in the Galilee, there was a crippled guy lowered down through the roof. And when he got put in front of him, you think the first thing he'd say is, is do, you want to, do you want to walk? Or can I pray for you to walk? No, that's not what he says. He looks at him and he says this. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And everybody starts grumbling. Who does he think he is? You can't say that sins are forgiven. Who does he think? Who does he think? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus looks at him and he says, let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to be easier? For me to say to this guy, your sins are forgiven? Or for him to pick up his mat, rise, and walk out of his crippled state? And he, everybody's silent, insulted, confused, and anticipating whatever it is. And then he looks and he says, but that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. Hey, buddy, pick up your mat and go home with it and walk. And he does it. And what the truth of the matter is, is that some of you in this room, it would be easier for you to believe that Jesus could heal a cripple in the Gospels than he could forgive you for your willful sin. And that is such a lie from hell. God doesn't only want to forgive you of your sin. He wants to heal your walk so that you can be a man in your home, that you could be a woman of God in your home, that you could be, you can mend broken relationships and fractured families, that you can have life in his name and actually bring that life like we're going to do next Sunday after church to people out in the street. He is not here. He's risen and friends, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And Father, we thank you for what you've done. And we thank you that we only live twice, but we only die once. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you've done. We give you praise and glory and honor here in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Sing with us as you go. And be sure to grab one of these. We have one more service, but we got plenty to spare. Thank you for tuning in to service today. A reminder to follow Lowell Assembly of God on all social media. Go to lowellag.org for more updates and information. And to re-listen to this again, go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.